everybody and first and foremost it is a mubarak to all of you and we hope that inshallah these days of azah were very fulfilling for all of you and inshallah imam hussein alayhi salam and say the fatima salam alayha accept your azah inshallah this is episode 3 of the poets of the household podcast where we discuss and explore different aspects of poetry in relation to our holy prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam and his holy household alayhi wasallam and always i'm joined with my co-host brother Naki Rizvi Naki how you doing bro i'm doing great i am joining in from montreal today and i'm excited oh. to uh, uh, talk to our special guest today on the road on the road on the road all right thank you Uh, we'll keep it English, not French, since he's in Montreal. Don't worry about it, guys. You know, I don't want nothing oui, to oui. show off his French skills, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and uh, as Naki alluded to, we do have a very special guest. Uh, today is a very, very good episode. You've joined uh, with us today. Um, it's a really good episode, alhamdulillah. We have the honor and the privilege uh, to be joined by uh, Sister Batul Rizvi. Most of you know her on Instagram as at... Batul in per, uh, Batul in pursuit. Sorry about that. Um, by the way, I am battling a cold, so if my voice does get a little hoarse or strange, I apologize for that. But um, again, we are joined by Sister Batul Rizvi at Batul in pursuit on Instagram. For those who don't know who Sister Batul Rizvi is, you're probably living under a rock. But Batul Rizvi is a poet, content writer, educator, and artist who graduated with a Bachelor of Science from Rutgers University and with a postgraduate certification from UCLA in creative writing. Her first short story, uh, which is titled Conference of the Forest, is part of the Crimson Earth Anthology and was published in 2023 for the Farthest Lot Tree. Currently, she serves on the board for Imamia Medics International, IMI, and the Shia Professional Association for Creativity and Education, also known as space. Uh, during her free time, Batul likes to collaborate with other creatives to host and organize workshops, open mics, and conferences. Sister Batul, assalamu alaikum, and thank you so much for being with us here today. Walaikum assalam. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for that kind introduction, no problem. <laughs> which I don't think I deserve. <laughs> no problem at all. Um. You know, Batul, you being such a decorated poet, mashallah, uh, I want to know, and I'm curious about those humble beginnings, what got you inspired into getting into poetry and starting off to write poetry in the English language, if, if that was the first language you wrote in poetry in, um, and what your journey has been so far to get you to where you are today. Yeah, no. Um, so I would say that like all throughout, like, my education I guess or uh like throughout like high school middle school I would say even elementary school um I've always like my favorite subject in school would be like English um and I always needed to express myself creatively so like before I was a poet I was like a painter and an artist um and I still I still if I have time I still like to um express myself in that way Nice. Um, but I guess when it came specifically to poetry, um, since a young age, I would say that 
um, I was surrounded by Urdu poetry um, when it came to like especially the months of Muharram but also like the months of like Rajab and even like any of like the Viladats of our Imam um, whether that was like Mankabats, um, Nats or also obviously like Nohim, Arsia, Salam, Soz, right, um, in right. Muharram. Right. Um, so a lot of that was my first exposure to poetry. Um, and then when it came to writing English poetry, um, it wasn't really until 2017 when I decided to like start publicly publishing and like creating an account. I think that was in 2018. Um, and um, yeah, it was really from like the support of like my family and my friends that really allowed me and like gave me, you know, like the confidence um, to share and and to recite publicly. Um, and I, and yeah, so that's essentially it. Mashallah, it's like we've heard this story before, eh, Naki? <laughs> kind of yeah. matches our style. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, you, you've talked about your poetic journey. And mashallah, uh, it kind of resonates kind of where we're coming from. And I wanted to ask you, um, you know, now that the days of Azar are over, the two months and eight days that we... Uh, formally uh, commemorate the martyrdom of Hussein Um, you know, we drive a lot of inspiration from from Karbala and Muharram in regards to our pieces, and kind of um, I don't know if you have this experience or not, but you know, when these days of Azar are over, yes, Milad al Nabi is is coming up as well. We write for the Prophet, but then we kind of go into this lull a little bit of an inspiration lull, as we say. So we kind of, I kind of wanted to kind of pick your brain as to how you keep yourself motivated during this stretch. Cause it looks like, like we said, during Karbala, during Muharram, the pen is always flowing. Thoughts are always coming. But again, during that inspiration lull, it kind of dies down. So do you have any kind of methods or any sort of advice you can give to other reciters or other writers as to how you keep yourself motivated during that, during that period? Yeah. I mean, what you're saying especially is is like hitting home and like hitting to my heart right now um because like the last day of or like the ninth day was like a few days ago right of rugby level um and I feel like honestly right now like sometimes you just like need to sit in those emotions of feeling sad and depressed that the months of mourning are over. I always feel like either there is such a, I have such a conflicting, mm -hmm. like my heart and my mind are so in conflict with each other because mm -hmm. it's just like, we've been wearing black for so long. And then it's such a norm that you just get used to. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like something that I've been seeing on social media, but also like, um, what a sheikh was actually saying this weekend too was that you know like yes the month of like mourning and are over but remembering Imam Hussein is never over like you're constantly doing that yes. um, or should constantly try to strive to do that yes um so yeah like I feel like you know, like I'm really just sitting in those emotions right now of just mm -hmm. feeling sad 
And I think that's okay, you know, like, um, you're, I feel like constantly, like, in Mohoram, like, you have, if you have the privilege, you know, of constantly being surrounded by, like, community and events and, like, mourning and, and, like, just different things that are going on, and then mm. suddenly it's sort of just, like, still and silent, yeah. um, that that can be sad but then also I think that can be really great um to give you the time to write um yes like a lot of like your inspiration like the majlises the nohe like the poetry and stuff that you're constantly surrounded by and the inspiration that you're constantly surrounded by may be like taken away from you but that doesn't mean that you can't still find those sources of inspiration so like um like what I hopefully plan on doing, you know, is to like keep reading, um, listen to the lectures that I didn't get a chance to listen to during Moharam. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully like, you know, like talk to like other creatives and like collaborate with other creatives um, and like pour myself into like my community or like the Shia artistic community um, in mm. other ways. Yeah. Um, because like you still can just because these two and a half months are over doesn't mean that um those inspirations or those sources that you can go to are gone because right. you know alhamdulillah we live in it, we live in like the age of social media and technology mm-hmm. and the internet and information is like at the click of your fingertips um so it's a blessing in that way yeah that's a great point that's a great point that it's never gone it's always there because that's the key point like Yes, the days of us are over, but we're not saying farewell to Imam Hussein. There's no way that can happen, right? Like, you can't say farewell to someone you love. Yes, there's a season of mourning. Two months and eight days have its own specialty. And that's what we bid farewell to. That's why, like you said, ninth Rabi level, it's so conflicting because, you know, you go from black to wearing red. Like, when I wear this color, it's like, Oh, yeah, I can wear it now. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I can wear it. Even like just a personal story, like on the ninth Rabbi level, like my son came up to me once and like he would just come up to me and just, he's only like, a, he's a baby. He's like a year. And he would just come up to me and just start, you know, beating his chest, uh, meaning turn on for me on ninth Rabbi level. I'm like, you know, not today, tomorrow, you know, kind of thing like that, because, you know, it is a day of happiness. And that's the beauty of our, of our, of our, uh, religion is that we're happy when they're happy we're sad when they're sad yes we have to put away our personal feelings and the ninth Rabbi level is a happy day so yeah we grieve for two months and eight days consistently and to kind of you know directly transfer it to a happy day becomes really tough uh, so you know I mean we completely understand where you're coming one from thing, now. Uh, yeah. uh, one thing I found interesting that Batul said and I, I it resonated with me was allowing for time uh, mm-hmm. Like one, I'm sure you guys feel the same way, and probably many people, um, especially as Shia poets, whenever there's like a wiladat or shahadat coming in, we kind of almost feel like forced to like, I yeah. need to write for this like shahadat that's coming up. And like, and sometimes like, I mean, oftentimes I would say, especially you guys' poetry, like it comes out really good, right? Even though we have to sometimes force ourselves to write. But I think this kind of time where it's like slow period or or not that pressure period where I only got two days until this shahadat and then two days there's another shahadat, I think it allows us to like really spend time and think and like maybe revise our poetry a lot and like work mm-hmm. through it, right? Maybe an idea that we have. One thing I did this Muharram that I think uh, is really going to be good for the rest of the year is 
uh, whenever I used to have an idea, I would just like, I have this like list of just I, poem ideas and I just like j jot them down, right? So I didn't get to write all the Muharram poetry that I wanted to write this Muharram because of time constraints and things like that. But I think if I um, slowly pace myself through the year, I could probably go back and and do that. And I think, you know, we could always write Muharram poetry, even as when it's on Muharram or even other, any other type of poetry at all, right? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point because, you know, this is a good time to reflect and kind of take it easy and kind of sit back and and read. Um, like there's a lot of books that I have that I haven't read yet because of how busy the two months and eight days get. And this is a great opportunity to kind of sit back, read, gather your thoughts and get that inspiration from there. So those are those are great points that both of you brought up. Now, kind of shifting the discussion to more of a uh, you know an, an educational one about a, a more you know on a literature literature side is you know you being of a Pakistani background like you said you know you you listen all your life to Urdu poetry and you know when we talk about kind of the giants of Urdu poetry we talk about Iqbal, Ghalib, Anis, Dabir, right? So do you think that the poets of the Urdu literature like those poets? can be used as a catalyst for English poetry as well? Or can we only derive inspiration and foundation in the way we write from poets of a European background? I know it might be a fully loaded question, but you're the perfect person, the perfect person to ask this question. <laughs> um, so no, I think that we, even though we are writing in English, Mm -hmm. um there is so much beauty and so much weight in the poets of the eastern um languages and i think that we should find inspiration from anybody who um anybody who's great you know yeah <laughs> um yeah. regardless of what background they come in but right especially like especially the Urdu subcontinent you know poets and I think that we should find inspiration from any poet um who is doing incredible work and any poet who was great or who was a legend mm -hmm. um because regardless of where they come from regardless of what the language that they spoke um if there is something useful or something creative or something novel you know that they did um yeah. and we can figure out a way to somehow um derive like inspiration from them mm -hmm. then I don't think that we should set limitations on ourselves yeah. uh whether they're like Urdu poets or whether they were um Arab you know like Arabic um uh, had like um roots in like the Arab culture yeah. or Persian culture, you know, yeah. um, whether wherever we can find the inspiration, I think. And if we do it in a way that's honoring them and um, honoring their work and their legacies and not in a way where it feels forced, but yeah. is organic. I think the most important thing is doing it in a way that is respectful and honoring them yeah. because I think there is like a fine line, right, of, um, like what would it mean for instance to colonize mm. other people's work you mm. know we wouldn't want to like i i wouldn't want to be doing that um 
like widifying maybe right. like a certain or colonizing you know like a certain type of like maybe structure or practice mm -hmm. um that was that was like there you know um you, you mentioned but you mentioned something around the lines of like poetic lineages right and ancestry a lot and I'm that's that's really interesting that you word it like that I want to find out like do you when you are writing right do you do you feel that poetic lineage in yourself or that poetic ancestry and like you're kind of translating in, I know I know we're talking about poets right now and like uh in getting inspiration from their poetry but I think all these poets belong to some sort of like family of of poetry or style of poetry or thoughts or philosophy of poetry right um when you write do you find yourself a part of that uh, or an inheritor of that uh lineage or um or are you kind of uh, feeling like okay whatever i'm creating is, is it's myself it's it's my own um i guess like aside from whatever whatever my background is aside from whatever my heritage is mm -hmm. um i'm doing something brand new mm -hmm. yeah um that's a really great question i think um i think it depends um if i i think it depends on each poem like what my intention is with that specific piece um if i had just maybe read like for instance like a ghazal by aga shahid ali right um who wrote like a lot of like amazing ghazals you know for instance um and I want to maybe like imitate a certain style or like a certain thing that he did or like certain syllable counts, for instance, that he had in his couplets. Mm -hmm. Um, then I then I know that, you know, like I am doing this and like his poems were like uh, a guide or like are teaching me um and are challenging me to see if I can um sort of take on his sort of style or mm. if I want to write more of like a um spiritual type of like ghazal and stuff um after reading like maybe certain lines of like Rumi's Masnavi then I know that like I'm learning from his work right. and seeing if I can do it like in the English language on a certain topic of maybe my choosing so I think that it depends um you know, like, like co combining the intention of what I want to do and see if I can be creative um, and maybe stretch a little bit of like the limits, go a little bit beyond um, and see if there's like a way to like merge and like marry that intention in mind and what I have just read or learned. Um, so basically, what, what I want to understand is what you're saying is that depending on the topic and depending on your attention, based on that, you would choose the appropriate poetic to use for that piece. So like, you don't want to kind of bound yourself to just one certain style. Like if you want to use, you know, the ghazal style, like we talk about matla, qafia, radif, that for this piece, you're okay with that. And if this topic kind of is more appropriate for a free verse or spoken word, then you're right towards that. Is that kind of what you're alluding to when you're when you're yeah. mentioning the different yeah. kind of poetic styles? Yeah, and and I think also it, it's heavily um, influenced by like what I'm currently reading or mm -hmm. who I'm currently reading at the time. Mm -hmm. 
like there is like a time when I was reading a lot of Rumi so I was writing a lot of like um, couplets and like spiritual poems and stuff Um, there was a time when I was reading a lot of Ghalib um, so I was trying to figure out a way to incorporate like Urdu into English, mm-hmm. uh, just like experimenting. And I think that's like the most important thing um, as a poet, um, and especially starting off too, is is to experiment and to not um, lock yourself anywhere, right? Like just back to that like previous question that we had talked about is like, um, finding that inspiration from anywhere and everywhere and whatever resonates with you, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I I think one of the beauties of the English language is that uh, it's able to take from so many different or the cultures and canons of so many different cultures. So even if you look at old English poetry, I think there was a very um, strong focus on alliteration and the rhyme was actually not that much of a focus. And then mm. when you start coming into like Middle English because of that influ- influence from the uh, uh, the Normans uh, and a little bit of the Italian, you see Chaucer's poetry starts to introduce the end rhymes. And then even in modern poetry, you know, we see haikus and we see all these different, from all these different cultures, the influence that English poetry receives from these different cultures. And I think mm. now uh, with what you're mentioning, Batul, we're also seeing um, with with poets like uh, Aga Shahid Ali and others as well, um, the introduction of eastern styles like the ghazal for example or other types of eastern poetry into into um the west uh, or english english poetry the one drawback though that i want to i want to get your thoughts on as well is that certain times um it's hard to translate uh like the eastern mind or the eastern culture that we have or values that we have into the the english canvas right for example like uh, if I want to write about Haya, right? Or if I want to write about Bepardagi of Bibi Zandab, for example, right? Uh, I sometimes can't think of words like modesty, but it, it's not the same thing, right? Like you can't really use modesty to describe like the tragedy of Bibi Zandab, for instance. Mm-hmm. Whereas just if you just say Bihaya in like, or Bihayai in Urdu, for example, or in another language, um, you know, you immediately are able to get that meeting are we able to marry these things or is it that we need to now start to create a new uh culture of of poetry that kind of takes a little bit of that which can be applied and not everything probably can be applied uh like i want to i want to get both of you guys' thoughts on this i I don't know if it makes it did it make sense what i just said i kind of just burned it out um yeah i mean you know, we've talked about this where, you know, in Urdu they have, and we talked about it in our first episode, I think, Naki, where they have something called Nasri Nazm, right? And that style was brought from the West to the East, and that's more of a free verse, spoken word type of poetry. Whereas Urdu poetry, uh, and I believe Iranian Farsi poetry as well, it's more based on structure and rhyme, and meter, and weight, qafiya, uh, radif, all that. So, And they also have something called azad nazam, but azad nazam is also within meter as well. So nasri nazam is more free verse. And I was, like, when I found out that that was brought from the West to the East, that, that took me back a little bit, you know what I mean? Because, you know, we've always heard the opposite, uh, you know, especially us growing up in the culture that we grew up, 
we take what we learned from Eastern ideologies and transfer that to the Western. But this was kind of backwards. And that was really refreshing to see because <clears throat> as you guys, you know, when you would go on this English journey, we kind of had to have this conflict inside of us. You know, you know, we grew up as a Urdu family. If you want to write, you should write Urdu. And English is kind of, you know, living here in the West. It's like, you know, is it accepted or not? And alhamdulillah, that's, I think we've kind of gone past that. And it's more accepted. The the, the speeches in English, Masaib in English, um, uh, now poetry in English has now been accepted. So when you see <clears throat> something from the West, inspiring something for the east that's really motivating for us so yeah i think that's very much so possible um that's just my one and a half cents not even two cents it's my one and a half cents i'm gonna leave the rest to you but to kind of answer that question yeah no i think that's that's really great um but and and i actually want to research that after <laughs> what you said but um yeah, I think there needs to still be like if if I'm going to be completely honest, um, there needs to be a lot more work in the mm -hmm. English language. Mm -hmm. Um, even for instance, when it comes to like Masai, mm -hmm. um, and like even, um, you know, like back in the day, like during like the Imams' times, for instance, a lot of the Masai used to be in poetry, mm -hmm. um. And like figuring out a way to do that in English where it's actually, where it has depth um, and it conveys the same amount of depth mm -hmm. as Urdu, Arabic, Farsi, mm -hmm. Masaib mm -hmm. and the language does. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is work that's being done, but I think like, you know, I think it would be really cool to see if like, um, for instance, like poets like us um and other amazing poets you know that are out there in the english language um write masaib um for maybe like lectures or whoever um in the english language because we have those skills and the and that um the toolbox of like things like metaphor imagery similes alliteration all of these like um all of these literary devices in the English language yeah. that conveys the depth, right? Yeah. Um, that can transport like the audience or, you know, the Azadars um, just as much as if they were sitting in Urdu Masaib. Um, but yeah, I, I would also say even like with the English, um, like English poetry too, like there needs to be work constantly. Um, yeah myself included um but i think that, that it yeah, is possible i think it is possible to reach that level mm -hmm. and the reason why i say that is because um i've sitting under english poets who've recited english poetry for the ill bit and mm -hmm. they move the entire audience to a lot of tears like rikka, mm -hmm. you know like rikka that we have um mm -hmm. i've i also recite english modulus like for ladies and stuff um and it's something that i i like to put a lot of emphasis on for like the messiah in english um and alhamdulillah alhamdulillah um i feel like i'm working towards that 
and and it's been receptive like it's been well received um but yeah like I think that what you were mentioning Nakiba like the latter option of like using some of those influences but I think it is time for us like to develop a formidable way for the English language to be like you know like we are here like the English language is here and it is strong it is just as strong um and what that might look like I don't know you know like I mean, I think like everything that I did just said, like those literary devices and using the inspiration um, and figuring out like, you know, what that might look like for the future. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's just yeah. like a matter of just seeing yeah. how how English poets maybe just like develop over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, so. Yeah, no, it's it's a great point because We've talked about this so much, and and I don't think we could talk about it enough. Is that, you know, our forefathers they came from Medina, I mean at least mine to Iran to India to here, and you know when they migrated to every country, they adapted to that language of the country. So you know when my forefathers transferred from <clears throat> Iran to India, if they were steadfast on Farsi. And they wanted to do everything in Farsi and not bring it to Urdu. We would not have these gifts and these treasures that we have today in Urdu, if they were so staunch on their on their language. Similarly, here we've migrated here now, and that doesn't mean that we're trying to replace the language. We're trying to add to it. Like that's the key thing. I think a lot of individuals and elders they might be feared that we're trying to replace the language. We're not trying to replace introducing a new language because it's a void. There are people who don't understand Urdu and they only understand English. So why not fill that void? And, you know, to your to your point about English bringing a lot of tears and crying and emotions inside of a, a person, like there's no language that's deeper right now than Arabic. Arabic is the language of God. And if languages like Farsi and, uh, and Urdu can drive that emotion which Arabic, even though it's a richer language than those, then why can't English do that as well? Like I can put an English kalam next to an Urdu kalam. It doesn't mean that because it's in Urdu, it wins every time when it comes to emotion. No, yeah, English has its own beauty, has its own depth. Like you said, we have those literary devices, which honestly, it's not even been a drop in the bucket yet. At least here, I would say that we're still working towards, mashallah, you you know, I would put Zain Awan, Nuri, Tahira, Adil, Al, Mashallah, the work that all of you have put in, Mashallah, Allah reward you for that. And, and you know, this is just the beginning uh, in regards to what we want to do. Um, I think one speaking uh, of other that, point I want to make. Yeah, Naki, go ahead. Yeah. I want to ask, you had a question before I move on to the next topic? Yeah, I just wanted to like, one 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 thing I want to, uh, I guess, extend on the topic that you guys have, have talked about as well is like India, sorry, not India. Urdu is a good use case, I mean, a case study. Um, and I think we should look at the way poetry was developed for the Alhubayt in the Urdu language. And I think it's it, a lot of those lessons could be learned in English because when when, when um, the morning or Azadari of Imam Hussein came into India or the, uh, into that region and they were trying to reimagine how to present this poetry in, in Urdu, mm. um, we talked about this with our poet friend Salman Heather, 
who mentioned like, you know, there wasn't that many historical resources available during that time, right? It wasn't very widely available to have books on history about the Maktals of Amos saying during that time in India when Mira Nius or Mir Dabir were writing them uh, Marasi. Uh, but with one thing I didn't think that was special uh, about Mira Nis, Mir Dabir is that they actually reimagined the entire event of Karbala from the lens of a, Hindu, a Hindustani person, right? A person mm. living in Hindustan. So even mm. if you look at the, the mercies that they write or even the Nohas in today, a lot of those are focused on values that are highly regarded in um, uh, in the Indian subcontinent, like fa familiar relationships, Chacha, Bhatiji, and these bhai, ben, like a lot of those uh, uh, those uh, elements, you won't actually find that in Arabic or Farsi poetry, but they really mm. made this entire event or the the Fadail and the Masaib of Ahl al-Bayt uh, feel like it happened in India in a way, right? And and that's how it sometimes feels when you're, when you're listening to it or reading this, this poetry. And I think point. when we're thinking about reimagining um, these events in the Fazail and Masaib of Ahl al-Bayt in the English language, yeah. I think that's an exercise we're going to have to do is kind of letting go of that, uh, the, 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 a little bit of the lineage that we've been carrying along and reimagine this in a Western context, right? What would make someone living in the West who doesn't have any of this Eastern context or lineage still connect and feel deeply uh, emotional with this, with this message, right? And I think it requires a think tank. And I think I, I would love for us to initiate something like this where we start thinking about like keywords. For example, if you say Jawan in any Urdu poem or Salam or Noha, you, ex you know exactly who we're referring to, right? Right. Uh, if we say Chadar, you know exactly who we're referring to. Right. Those connotations that are, that exist within some of those these words, they don't currently exist in English. And I think mm. we need that think tank to start, everyone start using the same vocabulary for certain things. That way mm. it's, it's in common verbiage and people are, can make that connection on their own instead of us having to explain it every single time. Like we still haven't agreed upon what musk is translated into. Is it water skin? Mm -hmm. Is it carrier? Is it container? Or is it water right. bag? You know, like let's stick to one so that it creates this common language in the, uh, in, in the uh, ears of the listeners uh, or readers, even in Messiah, right? Bo po poetry in Messiah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of work to do there for sure. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of is a great segue to our next topic here is that's what we're trying to do here at the Poets of the Household, right? We're trying to build a community. We're trying to make that work when it comes to English poetry, trying to get that out there, trying to make sure that, you know, people understand, hey, English poetry is still a thing. We could do the praise of uh, Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah and his holy household, alayhim through English, and it's 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 possible, and in regards to that, we're specifically trying to build a community, right? And Alhamdulillah, we've done that. We have, we've done writing prompts. We've invited guests like yourself, Batul, to our podcast. We're trying to create engaging videos by explaining what a haiku is, things of like that, baby steps. And so <clears throat> in regards to that, Alhamdulillah, the feedback has been, the responses have been great. We've received a lot of, we've had two writing prompts and Alhamdulillah, you know, the feedback and the responses have been great. So it looks like things are progressing in the right way in regards to building a community. Now, when it comes to community, you know, Batul, mashallah, you have a lot of experience in that field. So can you speak on your experience of finding and creating community in poetic spaces and kind of how we can do that when it comes to English poetry in praise of the Ahlul Bayt? 
Yeah, no, I think that the work that you guys are doing is, you know, wonder wonderful, mashallah. Um, and you know, may you guys like continue doing the work, um, because it's needed, like this space and this platform. Um, I also just wanted to say one last thing about the previous topic before I go into this. Um, yeah, please, but I think please. I think it will be actually like a good sort of um segue transition combination type. i guess of the two but yeah um like i do i will say that yes like it is important um to have like english voices in urdu or traditional like urdu arabic farsi spaces but i also think just as important as that is it is just as important to also see those really like those the legends or the the canonical poets of like the eastern um you know muslim hemisphere in western academic spaces as well mm. um i think that there is unfortunately still like a great lack of um visibility of like poets like iqbal ghalib rumi in those traditional classroom settings, as well as even like in higher education. Mm. Um, a lot of published poets, professors, right? Like they don't have that part of their curriculum, unfortunately. Um, and I think that that's also like a community, right? Of poets, um, like it's interesting. Like, I feel like I have like two communities, like two separate communities. Like there's like my Muslim or like my Shia, poet poetic community and then there's like the non-muslim um poetic community which like usually like comes from like workshops or like from school and stuff like that right mm -hmm. um so like it's important that um that that representation i guess is there on both ends um but yeah i would say that like alhamdulillah like um i've i think the community is like a really important thing to despite like which field you're in. Um, and I think that like when I like first started out like sharing and like, yeah, just like, uh, you know, like writing poetry, um, I've always just wanted to have and like have always like sought out poetic, Shia poetic communities because um, I honestly, like when I was starting off, I didn't really see as many other than like you know finally I like came across like brother Nuri um brother Tahir brothers and you know a sister Abir Safa um but I think um it's just like important to connect with poets um and then I sort of started doing like virtual open mics I think like the pandemic really um helped like I guess like jumpstart mm -hmm. um trying to like find and like like forced everyone to be virtual too um which mm -hmm. was sort of like a blessing in disguise because so many of us you know like aren't in like the same area or living like across like yeah. borders and ponds and um stuff like that so it's like this it's like this you know we get to invite yeah. you to our podcast even though we live in kind of Canada Toronto you're somewhere else so we're able to connect this way so yeah it's a blessing for sure yeah, for sure. Um, and then just hosting like virtual um, open mics um, and then attending conferences that were like led by the youth for the youth. Um, 
and like figuring out a way to like really be um involved in those spaces um really really helped me out um I would say in terms of just like visibility building community um and and yeah I've been like talking and rambling no it's great y'all jump in no no it's great it's great because this is something that you know a lot of people have this question on their mind it's like kind of how do I get out there um how do I get my name out there um you know so in regards to that are you saying that you know first of all i think instagram is a great medium um for that i think you know getting your pieces out there tagging people i know i get annoying when it comes to tagging i tag a lot of people in my pieces that's because it's just you know you want you want to share and you want to make sure that your hard work is 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 recognized and that people like-minded people understand that um but outside of instagram like now that we've kind of gone outside of the virtual now we're kind of post pandemic and things have opened up like where would you say to kind of you know be part of a community like any advice or anything that you would kind of focus on so you know what do this and inshallah you know Allah will help you along the way now like if things are happening more like in person like there's conferences um there's open there's always like open mics hopefully like I guess like I live like, you know, like near New York and stuff. So there's always open mics happening in like the city. Um, But even if there's not open mics happening, like who says that you can't, you know, like, and you, the general you um, can't start an open mic, you know, like get like a few of your friends, um, figure out like some theme or some topic Mm -hmm. um, that can be universal across like different mediums. Like it doesn't just have to be poetry, it can be comedy, it can be, um, it can be singing, it can be like other things, right? Um, Like that. But I would say like, there are like, um, a lot of stuff, like, I would say happening, like in Masha, let's say like in America by like young people um when it comes to like conferences or like even third third party spaces Mm -hmm. and obviously that that's not like um like the Mombarga right but like maybe in like a university setting or like some other like organization Mm -hmm. um so for instance like I'll just shout out like a few organizations here that people can maybe like get involved with please please Um, so I would say Ilbith Collective or ABC. Um, that's a collective that's based out of California, but like they accept like submissions and stuff from everywhere. They also host like open mics, do a lot of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also part of Space, you know, as you mentioned. So that's the Shia Professional Association for Creativity and Education. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like our first conference last year. Our second conference is happening this year in Vancouver, inshallah. Um, anybody wants to come Veterans Day weekend. Um, and then there's also Marifa um, programs, which has been around as well. Um, and then there's also a lot of TMAs and ABSAs and socks and stuff like that. Um, for like young, you know, people like college students um, to get involved in their community, like pitch ideas of like having creative events, open mics, you know, galleries, stuff like that. Um, and I think, you know, like hopefully, you know, you'll be able to like find a community um, and Any it can be challenging. For, uh, older, older people like me and a bus bike? 
It sounds like everything, everything is for the for the college college folks. Poets of the household. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, no, um, no, and then I feel like if you get like, I think it it depends. Like that that is a challenge. Like that demographic, um, and I think like Instagram, like you said, like it's like a good place to like initially like seek out other mm-hmm. creatives and writers, mm-hmm. um, and then like see like, like you know would they be down um to go on like virtual like workshops um or to have virtual workshops or if you're in the same area to do it in person um and then maybe like ask like the mambargas or the masjids near you like hey like there's a group of us we really want we're really into this like can we like do this maybe like at a larger scale or like with your support Mm -hmm. um but yeah, like it's scary sometimes. And yeah, like, yeah. stage fright, <laughs> stage fright, a lot of stage fright. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, thank you, uh, Batul. That was great information. So, anybody listening out there, Batul, I don't think you would mind if anybody reached out to you personally to ask you for more information. Reach yeah. out to Batul uh, if you are interested in any or mic night, uh, any open mics, uh, presenting your pieces. If there's anything going on in your area, Batul is the person to go to. So please contact her. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, speaking of presenting poetry, uh, we always like to end our our, our podcast episodes uh, with a poem by the special guest. So, would you like to do us the honors by reciting one of your pieces? Yeah, sure. Inshallah. Uh, <clears throat> I will recite a poem that was requested. Um, and Tell I think fitting. <laughs> I think it is fitting um, based on like everything that we've talked about. Um, I did share this obviously on my Instagram, but um, it's a poetic response to Aga Shahid Ali's um, poem, which was titled Zainab Lament in Damascus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know obviously that we have just ended like Ayame Aza, um, but inshallah it was this this was written um as like a farewell to mm. that um and it's titled a mourner's face in the farewell lament over hussein's months what light has swollen in infinite sorrow Look at me, O Muslims of the Ummah, a mourner's mourner, a daughter's daughter. Over my master's bleeding mansion, dawn rose Mm. at such permanent cost. So I weep now, and I weeped yesterday. Damascus was deaf, I hope I am not. Right now, I hear you, right now, I hold the pain in my hands, tangible. Like he, the severed heart, the very heart of Muhammad. O Clay's father, son, forgive me, forgive my absence. I am here now, burying your unburied with tears. Hussein's sister, hear my chest. Over my master's months, what light has swollen 
an infinite heaving, an endless melancholy. Hussein's sister, you alone were left to tell your brother's story. I alone cry at night. I find you here. I will find you in between flags of jadars, in between Agrabati and Rosewater. I will find your brother because you found me first. Zainab, how did you say farewell? I cannot let go this panic. Let there be no farewell. Subhanallah. MashaAllah. Beautiful Subhanallah. What a great piece to end off this discussion. Um, and these days of Aza, um, I couldn't think of a more fitting way, mashallah. So this ends and concludes uh, another episode of the Poets of the Household podcast. Sister Batul Rizvi, uh, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me, inshallah. Jazakallah, jazakallah. With that said, uh, thank you for all of our listeners and viewers for being with us today. On behalf of Naki and myself, until next time, inshallah, wassalamu alaikum.